Hello. Welcome back to this podcast, which explores how the Word of God is alive and interactive with us today. Enjoy these stories from members of our congregation. May the Living Word bring you new life today. Welcome back to our podcast from First Lutheran Church in Columbia Heights, Minnesota. I am Pastor Jill Bergman, and today I am joined by our guest, John, who is a longtime member of our congregation, and he is going to share a story about a significant event that happened to him and how God was wrapped in that event. So, John, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Pastor Jill. How long have you been a member at First Lutheran? Uh, we joined in November of 1993. No, 1992. 1992, yes. So if it's 2022, that 30, makes it 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Long time. And you've raised your kids here? We have. We have a, a daughter, Lindsay, who's 29. Sarah is 26, and Catherine is 24. What brought you to First Lutheran Church initially? Well, I grew up in a very devout uh, Catholic family, and um, I met the the, um, Norwegian girl. um, Should we say her name? Mary Kay. Um, (laughs) uh, She is the rock in my life. Um, And um, so all of a sudden we were going through the pre- marriage classes, and I told the um, pastor, Father Paul, at St. John's in New Brighton, Minnesota, whatever you do, don't try to convert my my fiance. It'll happen on our time schedule. Because she was a Lutheran from birth. Absolutely. Okay. So we had a meeting with the um, senior pastor at um, St. Philip's in Fridley, Minnesota, and Pastor Lindstrom asked me if I was practicing my Catholic faith, and yes, and he asked Mary Kay if she was practicing her Lutheran faith, and she said no, and he looked at me and said, you guys should get married in a Catholic church, but you already know that you're not going to be able to have the high mass because you're not marrying a Catholic. So this was a Lutheran pastor you were talking yes. to. Okay. So he said, I'll give, make my deal. I will co-officiate. So... Fast forward about 14 months after we got married, I was getting ready for church one Sunday morning, and my wife said, I'm going to church with you, but we're not going to St. John's. We're going to this little church I drove by the other day, and it was First Lutheran Church of Columbia Heights. Fast forward 30 years later, I am a past president of this church, and I've been very involved in building maintenance and all sorts of different ministries, including Mission Jamaica with the youth um, and uh, the youth group and many, many projects here, many uncount- countless projects. So, Well, we're glad it worked out that way. Exactly. I am too. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is home for me spiritually, so right. it's a good place. Yeah, yeah. Um, so while you've been here over 30 years, there's been lots of ups and downs, both personally and otherwise. And today we're here to talk about one specific event that happened in your life that involved a plane. Can you tell us what you were doing on a plane to begin with. I, I think I would set the story here with everybody gets dealt a bad hand in life. And it's not the hand you're dealt, it's how you play it that counts. And my bad hand 
does have to do with an airplane. Um, and we, uh, I was part of a um, manufacturer's representative company. We represented multiple manufacturers uh, in the building products company. And one of the um, managers in our firm decided that he we were going to use small airplanes to shrink the territory. So on September 19th, 2001, eight days after 9-11, and the very first morning, private civil aviation was able to fly. Commercial aviation came online a few days before that, but private civil aviation did not come online after 9-11 until the 19th of September. We took off. We were flying to Rapid City, South Dakota. We left the Crystal Airport, which is in the northwest suburbs of the Twin Cities here, um, and it was a uh, cloudy morning, um, but Ken Klein was a um, instrument flight rules pilot, so clouds were not an issue. He knew how to fly in them, and we took off. The ceiling was about 800 feet that morning, and um, we got up between two cloud layers at about 3,000 feet where you could not see blue, gra- blue sky or you couldn't see green grass, but you could see forever, and it was beautiful. And I looked at him and said, if it's going to be like this the whole way, this will be good. And shortly after that, the oil light came on on the instrument panel. And I looked down at the oil pressure, which was at zero, and the oil temperature was climbing rapidly. And the motor started knocking. We radioed an SOS. And um, the the, um, people at Minneapolis Center, which is the flight control, uh, the control people um, tried to vector us to an airport in the southwest metro, which was too far away. And um, we ended up in a cornfield in St. Bonifacius, which is probably 30 miles west of the Twin Cities. Um, and the um, first responders were on us within about 20 minutes. I don't remember any of that. We'll get into that a little bit. Right. So yeah. was this the first time you had been in a little plane like that? Ken loved having me as the guy in the right seat because I grew up with a father with a small airplane, and I knew how to read aeronautical maps, so I'd have them folded perfect. And so he loved it because I knew what what he needed because I'd flown with my dad many times. So you were comfortable flying oh, absolutely. that plane. Yeah. yeah, and you felt like everything looked great until the oil. No question, no question about it. The one thing about knowing airplanes and um, – I thought I wanted my pilot's license until I was in that situation, and I'm not sure how well I would handle the left seat in that situation, so I've opted out of becoming a private pilot. But the one thing I would say about that situation, as long as the glide path is right, the plane's going to fly. You know. And one of the great mentors in my life, a gentleman who I met through um, volunteering here at church, I've met him, and he, he's just a great mentor in my life. His name's Warren. He's a private pilot, and he said, you know, in that situation, many people forget to fly the airplane. Your guy flew the airplane. So how long had you been in the air before the oil light came on? I would say maybe 10 minutes. Oh, very quick. Yeah. Right. So then you you landed, and, and your pilot flew the plane, but what was the result? So my last memory was looking out the window. Um, well, first, I would I'd back up and say that we broke through the clouds, and we had bad options. There was high-tension power lines on a, along a dirt road. There was another set of power lines, and the road was windy. And there was a cornfield on the other side of the power lines. And Ken made a decision that's where we were going to go. So 
the last memory I remember is looking out the window at the corn at eye level thinking this is this could be the end. What was your next memory? Waking up um, at first, or I'm sorry, at uh, Hennepin County Medical Center, which is a level one trauma center, uh, three days later, um, and thinking I was in a dream, and a very close friend of mine who I'd met through my affiliation here at First Lutheran, his name is Rock, I walked in the room and I asked him where I was. So he he had been your friend already, and oh, yeah, he was absolutely. there. Um, so can you fill in the gap? What did you learn had happened? Well, he explained to me that um, we were in an airplane, and I asked where Ken was, the pilot. He said he's in the very next room over, and you know started processing what had happened. And the next day, an occupational therapist walked in the room and asked me to make a clock and make it say two thirty. And I remember it well. I drove. I made the clock and I put 13 hours on it and made it say 2.30 and looked at it and thought, that's not right. And then they handed me a checkbook and said, write a check and then reconcile the ledger. And I couldn't add or subtract. And that's kind of where it started. What was going on in your body? So I had broke both of my feet. I had broke my back from the L1 through the L4 and I had a um, brain injury. And what happened with the plane? Was it shattered? The plane actually was a, um, the plane saved my life. If that would have been an airplane like my father had when I was a child, in that situation, it would have crumbled like a pop can. This plane was um, made from fiber, carbon fiber. And I believe that, that the integrity of that airplane, because of the construction of it, saved my life. What happened with Ken? Ken broke his back a little higher than mine. He broke his back up in the, uh, mine was low in the lumbar. His was high in the thoracic, and he nipped his spinal cord, which rendered him a paraplegic for the rest of his life. So we began this conversation talking about your faith and how strong it was, and you've been at this church for such a long time. Where do you think God was in the middle of that situation with the crash? I've had many people say I was lucky that day. I think Ken and I were very unlucky that day. I've had many people tell me that I, they thought God might have had his hand under the airplane. I don't believe that's where God was either. Um, so Ken speaks of an almost out-of-body focus and concentration he never had before the incident or after. And I kept my mouth shut the whole way down. Well, that's a surprise. Exactly. (laughs) So Ken later would talk about the silence of the moment gave him the ability and the bandwidth he needed to be on his A game and fly the airplane. So you believe God was helping him focus? Absolutely. And, and keeping um, your mouth shut. You know, it was funny later because people would ask us about the situation and they wanted to hear about the chaos, and it was very calm, very, very calm, and um, which surprises almost everybody. So since then, what has that done with your relationship with God? Well, if there's one thing I've realized is the best part about recovery is you get to. 
other than that, it's hard work. There's nothing easy about recovery. So I was in a level one trauma center and then um, moved to a um, rehab center. And basically, they were going to teach me how to play hurt. And I was in a wheelchair. I was in a, a TLSO brace, which is basically a turtle shell around your core for to deal with the broken back. And then both of my legs were casted. And um, and then they were also working with me on my uh, memory and brain injury. Um, but very humbling experience. And the one thing that I um, learned there was the best part about recovery is, you know, we get to. Um, I had a social worker walk in one morning at NAP Rehab in Minneapolis, and she said, I'm your social worker. What do you think about this recovery we're working with you on? And I looked at her and said, three weeks ago, I didn't know this place existed. I don't know what to expect out of you, but I can tell you what you can expect out of me. No pity parties, and I'm going to do whatever I can to get back to some semblance of normal. And she looked at me, asked me a few more questions, and she said, you will heal quick. And that's the last time I saw my social worker. Okay. Yeah. And you had said that um, people looking back at the accident said it wasn't a very high chance that you would have survived. So the FAA, in the conditions we were in, being um, instrument flight rule conditions, um, and with the way the day was, gave our accident a 5% probability of survival. So, you know, you look at it, you go, 5%. Well, so you're telling me there's a chance. And so what do I do with this? And I think one thing that this accident did is it galvanized me, and it's really the um, defining moment of my life from not only just a steely resolve, but also from a faith standpoint, it's helped me understand what's important in life. You know, I was very focused on my professional career. Professional career is important, but life's a three-legged stool, and you also have to put emphasis on your family, and you also have to put emphasis in, you know, your faith and volunteering and paying it forward um, because a lot of people came out of the woodwork to make a difference in my family. So how do I continue that? It sounds like you're not angry with God that it happened. God gives us an unbelievable gift. It's just such an unbelievable gift. It's there for everybody to grab, and it's called forgiveness. And if I did not forgive the mechanics who because of their oversight, put us in that catastrophic situation, um, things would be different and I would be miserable. Not forgiving is like running a marathon in a snowmobile suit. It's a very interesting analogy. Yes. Never thought of it that way. But I see that that's a, maybe a surprising thing to come out of this, that the first thing you think of is forgiveness. Um, if people didn't know that, there might have been blame to pass around. Well, there was blame, and it, 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 but I've never ever thought ill of them. And if they could reshuffle the deck, things would have been a lot different. I did talk with the one mechanic who was responsible years after the accident and told him I was considering writing a book and wanted his insight. And very interesting conversation. 
and um, he never called me back. He he uh, acted like he didn't know who I was at first, and then said, "I never forgot who you are, and I know exactly who you are." And I said, "I have no ill will. I just want your feed, your impact, your input on this incident." And he said, "I'll think about it." And that's where he's at in life, and that's fine. I'm I'm good with it. But I did let him know that I had no ill will, and that. I wasn't going to use anything he said in a very in, in anything but a positive way to help me with the story. This story comes out when it makes a difference. You know, 21 years after the fact, this story is one that isn't talked about often anymore. But it, when it does, it makes a difference. You spoke about your family earlier. How did this event impact your wife and your children? So everybody thinks I went through a lot. But the th- first three days of this, my daughter Lindsay was in the third grade. My daughter Sarah was in kindergarten, and Katie was a preschooler. And my wife had to deal with this while I was unconscious. And I wasn't unconscious the whole time. I was combative, but I don't remember any of that. And um, so my wife had to deal with that, and she's the rock in this deal. And where did she get her strength from? I would say that the people from this church that showed up, the people in our family, I'm part of a large family, she's part of a smaller family, but I'd say that the people that rallied around our family gave her the strength and courage to move forward. Is there anything you would like us to know about your faith and this uh, event that happened in your life? So one of the ways that I pay it forward in a very small way is Sunday school. And I'm a Sunday school teacher, um, and I teach third through fifth graders. I know. We had to get you excused from teaching today. I know. I took an unexcused absence today. <laughs> but uh, and if you ask anybody, any child that's been in a Sunday school classroom with me what my favorite Bible verse is, it's about letting your light so shine in the Gospel of Matthew. And my faith is recognized through my actions and not through my words. So, you know, you look at my professional life, you look at my family life, you look at my spiritual life, and it they're not compartmentalized. They're all the same, and it's it's about honesty. It's about integrity. It's about the courage to stretch and grow. It's about transparency. It's about teamwork. It's about accountability. It's about relationships. No matter what, owning the relationship is is a big deal, and it's about letting your light so shine. And you know, if you bring me an opportunity that doesn't fit within that wheelhouse, I'm not interested. You know. Do you have anything to say to somebody who's going through a catastrophic event in their life that is maybe struggling with their faith right now that maybe wonders why God did it to them? I would say that the best thing, the best thing that's happened to me is being part of a strong faith family, and I really do see it as a faith family. The other thing I would say is that God gives us a few things um, 
and you can take it for what it is or you can leave it and keep going. But one of the things that God gives us is forgiveness, and that's a big one. And not only forgiving other people for transgressions or mistakes, but also yourself is a big deal. And, you know, you, I would find a faith community that respects you for who you are. And the beauty of First Lutheran is that I don't agree with everybody here, but I respect them. And that's, I think, the world sorely needs, you know, that discourse back. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. And um, hopefully it's encouraging to anybody who is right now thinking about the things that are going on in their lives and maybe they can have another conversation with God about what they need to forgive or how they can move forward. Absolutely. You know, the other piece of this story, which is crazy, is it continues to evolve. Oh, yes. How's that? So my friend Ken Klein, great mentor in my life, saved my life. The pilot. The pilot. um, Saved my life with the way he handled the airplane. Um, We would talk to each other on every September 19th, at least or we would go to dinner with our wives. So I called him September 19th, 2020, at about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I said, left him a voicemail saying, hey, my daughters are giving us a hard time. It's our golden anniversary, 19 years to the day, September 19th, call me. And about 4 o'clock that afternoon, the phone rings. It's his cell phone. I can see it. It's and I answer the phone and I, hey, how you doing? You know, it's like, no, Johnny, this is Matt, Ken's adult son. He said, my father died this morning on the hunting property from a heart attack. Oh, wow. And I said, you realize your father saved my life. Well, we know how you feel. I said, what time did your father die? He said, about 10 to 9. So you realize our accident was at 8:10. So 19 years to the day. Within the same hour, Ken passes away of a heart attack. Ken Klein is an interesting man, and I watched him slam the chapter closed and move on as a paraplegic for the rest of his life, and a very active paraplegic. He was the um, um, president of Paralyzed Veterans of America for the Minnesota chapter and paid it forward on countless um, ways I asked him early in our recovery how he was doing, and he said, things are going okay, I'm progressing, and we were both still in wheelchairs. I said, I'm going to walk in the next couple of months, and you're probably never going to walk. He said, Johnny, if I would have hurt you as bad as I'm hurt or if I would have killed you, I wouldn't be doing so well. So I um, told Matt, I'm sorry if there's anything I can do. You know, I'm here for you and your mother, and... I got a call a couple days later from Matt, and he said, I thought I could do this, but I can't. I want want you to do the eulogy. And I said, it's already written. He said, what? I said, yeah, for my own psyche, it's done. And I went um, to the church and uh, did his eulogy. And um, Mr. Huddig's... Um, a gentleman that I've met um, through the years, and I've met him as a result of our accident. Um, 
he is the uh, executive director of the Jewish Relations Council of Minnesota, North and South Dakota, sent me a very interesting nugget that I used. And it goes something like this. The ancient Hebrew um, rabbis said, it's not our responsibility to uh, make the world a better place, but it's our responsibility to be part of the process. And I would encourage us to be part of that process and part of the bigger picture. The world needs more people to let their light so shine. The world needs more people that see things in a different light and see things through a different lens um, and look at it from, a, from the vantage point of grace. And, um, you know, ask not what the church is going to do for you. What are you going to do for the church? Well, thank you for your insight, John. I know we all have a lot to think about after this conversation, but let's just wrap it up with a prayer. Lord Jesus, we often find ourselves in situations that seem insurmountable. And often when we don't know what else to do, we want to place blame. Today, Lord, I pray that you will give us the gift of forgiveness like you gave it to John. Help us to offer up those things that we see that are wrong, whether it's in other people or in ourselves, and to be released from that by your grace. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.